Okay, Shalom Aleichem. We're starting a new game today. Perak Achlivel, the eighth Perak of Avakama. It's a great Perak. It's a Perak which discusses all the different payments a person has when they damage someone. You know, for our sake, you know, just to make it hit home a little bit. No pun intended. You know, if you know you have Corona and you go out and you give someone Corona and they get sick, that's how much you have to pay for them. You have to pay for it. All these different things. You, uh, you give someone a slap on the back and they fall over and uh, they get hurt. You have to pay for it. What well, you have to pay for it? It matters if you're in shul, it matters if you're in the house. All these different assessments of things that might happen in day-to-day life that you cause damage to someone else, what's the liability? How does the Torah view it? So now today, I don't want to start the parak yet. To start the parak needs some background information. And so what I want to do today is I just want to read some Sukkim, some Rashis, some Rambams, other commentaries, a few different Gemaras, and just as an introduction so that we have you know, a certain degree of background knowledge and familiarity with the different topics that are going to be discussed, so that way when we open up to Daf Pei Gimel, we'll be able to do it you know, with uh, a certain amount of familiarity in the subject matter. So first, I want to, let's read some Sukkim. The Psukim and Parshat Mishpatim, these are some of the sources. There's five basic payments that a person could be liable for when they damage someone else. One is Nezek, the damages, the payment for the damages. The other one is Tsar, the pain that a person would suffer through. One is Ripui, the medical payments. Shavis is the lack of work, the inability to work due to the, pay, the injury that you caused. And the last one is Boshas, they have to pay them for the embarrassment that was incurred through the action. So all of these we want to go now and source them in Pesukim. So says the Torah, Parshas Mishpatim, Source 1, Perk Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Yerches Yetes. Anashim, when two people are fighting, and Ruvain hits Shimon, the guy hits his friend, either he throws a rock at him or he punches him with his fist, and he doesn't die, and now he has to go to the hospital, right? He's stuck in bed. Now, Rashi tells us here that at this point, what do we do? The guys weren't clear whether he's going to live or die. He's stuck in bed. He's sick from the wound. So we put the person, the assailant, we put him in prison temporarily. So that way we'll know what the proper, the proper punishment he'll get for his action. So says Rash, says the Chumash further in Pasuk Yotas, Im yokum vis- If he doesn't die from the action. Afterwards, he gets up, he's able to walk, al-meshantel, even if he needs a cane. Venike hamake, the person who hit him is going to be um, absolved from death penalty. So what's he liable for? Rakshifto yitain, he has to pay for his unemployment. Virapo yirape, he has to pay his medical bills. Right? Don't think that you have to heal him himself. And she says, Virapo yirape, you have to pay the medical bills. Now, what happens if the guy who damaged him is a doctor, or his brother or his best friend's a doctor? Can he say, listen, I'm going to heal you for free. I'm going to take care of you, give you your medical attention, so it doesn't cost me. So this is discussion already in the early commentaries. The simple approach is that he doesn't have the ability to do so, unless the person who was damaged agrees. The person who was damaged can say, listen, you hurt me the first time, I don't trust you to heal me, or I don't trust your messenger to heal me. Therefore, you have to pay the bills of the doctor that I choose. Now, let's see Rashi here on Rak Shifta Yitain. What's the unemployment? How do we assess 
according to Rashi, unemployment. So Rashi says, The lack, the inability to work due to the, the sickness, the damages that were incurred based off the injury. So if this guy cut off his hand or his leg, we view the inability to work due to the recovery time period. It doesn't mean his inability to work will see soon because he doesn't have an arm anymore, because he doesn't have a leg anymore. It means while he's in the hospital and his wound is healing and he's unable to work because he's in a period of recovery, then we view that inability to work, inability to work as if he's watching a garden. Because now even after he recovers from the wound itself, meaning to say that he lost a hand, and now the wound healed, it scabbed over, and even though he's lacking a hand, nonetheless he stopped bleeding. Because even afterwards he's not going to be, he can't be, you know, a baker anymore. He only has one hand. So what's he pay? Like a person who watches a garden. That included within the domain Nezek, the payment that he gave him for the initial damages, that incorporated the payment for the hand and the foot. In as much as it tells us that you get a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. Therefore, all you're paying for is when he does heal, what would he be able to do? That you have to start paying him right now while he's still in the hospital recovering. So up until now, we've sourced our first two payments, Shavis unemployment, and Ripui, the medical bills. Now let's see the next group of Psilkim, and that's gonna, we're going to source two more different, type, two, two different types of payments. It says in Source 1, in Pesach Kaf Beis, when two people are fighting, V'nagfu, and they push one into the, one of them pushes the other into an ishahara, to a pregnant woman, the yadzuliyaladeha, and she has a miscarriage due to the impact of the one person that was pushed into her. Veloyehaasan, but she survives that impact, so she loses the fetus, but she still is she's still alive. So anish, then we make him pay her monetary compensation. When the husband of the woman goes and takes these people to court, and they give a monetary amount which is decided upon by the judges of the court. That's one circumstance. But if the lady herself dies due to the fact that these other two people were fighting, so then you have to give a life for a life. Ayan tachas ayan, an eye for an eye. Shein tachas shein, a tooth for a tooth. Yad tachas yad, a hand for a hand. Regal tachas regal. A foot for a foot. Now, that was all talking about different body parts. Now, the Torah says something interesting. It switches discussing body parts, what comes for what. Rather, it talks about different types of wounds which could be given. Kriya tachas kriya, burn for a burn. A peta tachas peta is a wound, and a chabura is a bruise. The exact definition we're going to see soon, momentarily, in Rashi. So let's see Rashi, in source 2. Rashi says, what's nefesh tachas nefesh? So Rashi says, Rabbi Seinu Cholkim There's a dispute here. 
Some people say that when it's nefesh, you really kill them. You actually kill them. A life for life. But some people say no. It doesn't nefesh doesn't mean a life. It really means the money. Why? Because if you try, if Reuben's trying to kill Shimon, but by mistake he kills Levi, so then Reuben is pot to Mimisa. He's exempt from death. And he pays to the inheritors of Shimon his value. If theoretically would have sold him as a slave in the Shuk. Meaning to say that the dispute is if you kill someone and you intended to kill someone, but you killed the wrong person, is that liable to death penalty or not? That's a dispute according to Rashi. So what's it mean, an eye for an eye? Sima ein chavero, if you blind your friend's eye, nusn de eno, you give him the value of his eye. Kamashipaksu dava nimkabashuk. Now how do we ascertain that? How do we assess that? If we were to sell him as a slave in the shuk, so then we then we evaluate him, how much he was worth beforehand, how much he was worth afterwards, and we give him we the the differential. A slave with two eyes is worth more than a slave with one eye. Vachin kulam. And so too with all the different damages, and here we're not talking about that you're actually going to take his eye out. And like we're going to learn together in Parakachavel that it doesn't mean we actually take his eye out, rather it means you may pay him money. A burn. Right? A heat wound. A burn. So now it says Rashi as follows. Up until now, we've been discussing some kind of wound where the person's value depreciates. Right? They lost an eye, they lost a tooth, they lost a hand, they lost a foot. They lost something which makes their, you know, utilitarian aspect be less valuable. So now what are we discussing? So now we're talking about compensation payment when there's no depreciation in value. Elatsar. Rather, what did they experience? They experienced pain, and yet for that pain, you're going to have to pay. Kagun kavol b'shvud al That you take a hot metal pole that's burning red hot, and you put it on its fingernail. So even though there's no damages, he's just as his utilitarian aspect of being able to do different jobs. I really didn't change. Nonetheless, omdim kama adam We evaluate how much a person. That's similar in a similar state of health to him, in a similar state of, um, I guess, comfort in life, and how much he's used to suffering and not suffering. How much a person like that, how much would we have to usually pay someone in order to go through that type of tsar? Now, says Rashi the next one, what's a petza? It's a wound which blood comes out from. You burst his skin, his flesh. Now, and everything is based off his subjective. If due to the wound, so his value depreciates, then you pay Nezek as well. And if he had to go to the hospital, right? then you give him Shavas, as well as you also have to pay for his medical bills and his embarrassment and his pain. Says Rashi, Now, this Pasuk of Petzatachas Patsa is really superfluous. Which is what we're going to be learning together. The sages expounded. Here, 
Petsa, the Chiddush of the, the Pasuk Petsa was to teach us that we obligate a person, the damager, to pay the person who was injured for the tsar, through the disturbance, the pain that he went through, even though he's paying Nezek at the same time. Sha'afel Pishan is in the Dmeyodel, so even though he pays him for the value of his hand, right? He paid for the hand. We don't say, because I paid you for your hand already, I don't have to pay for your pain as well. Now, why would I think you would be exempt? I might think, since I paid you for the hand already, I could do whatever I want to your hand. Therefore, the fact that I cut it off and you suffered because of that, I'm not liable for. You can't make me pay for that. We say it's not true. Really, you know what? You could do what you want with the hand. You paid for the hand. But you should have cut it with a chemical. You, didn't have, you could have gotten the same result in a less painful way. Because when you cut it with a chemical as opposed to a sword, it hurts less. And since this one cut it with a metal sword as opposed to a chemical, therefore, for that amount of pain, he has to pay in addition to the Tashlume Nezek he paid on the hand already. Rashi says, Chabura, what's the last piece? Chabura is a bruise, right? That blood, there's bleeding, but it doesn't burst the skin. So now so we brought another two sources. Here we brought the source for Nezek, for the damage itself, and we brought a source for Tsar, for the pain that the person went through, even when you're paying Nezek as well. So, so far, we had Rak Shifto Yitain, Shifto is unemployment. Verapo Yirape is a medical bill. Ayin Tachas Ayin is for the Nezek itself. You have to pay money. And Petza Tachas Patza is referring to the Tsar, the, the distress and the pain that a person went through. They're all obligations to pay. Now, our last source is in Sefer Devarim, Perkhafei Pasukin Aleph. Here, we have a whole new case. The case is as follows. Says the Chumash, the two people who are fighting, a man and his brother, obviously it doesn't mean brother here, literally it means his fellow Jew. So now Reuven and Shimon are fighting. Reuven's wife, Sarah, is very upset. Reuven's getting hit by Shimon. So what she do? So Reuven's wife comes to save Reuven, her husband, from Shimon, the one who's hitting him. So she extends her hand. So what she do? She goes ahead and she grasps Shimon's private parts as a means to prevent Shimon from continuing to hit her husband. So says the Chumash, what's the penalty for such a thing? We cut off her hand. And you can't have mercy on her. So here, it seems a little barbaric, but it says that we cut her hand off. Says Rashi, obviously we don't cut someone's hand off for doing such a thing. So what is it? Says Rashi, Mamun de Boshto. What's it mean of a katsosa's kappa? You make her pay with her hand, meaning to say, with what that which her hand did, we make her pay for that which her hand did. The embarrassment that was caused to Shimon through her action. Right? And everything is dependent based off of the person who did the embarrassing. And the person who is embarrassed, that will discuss more that caveat, that condition, when we uh, learn a choyvul together, the Yisra Hashem. But right now we see here that there's a monetary payment that comes 
due to the fact that the person was was uh, embarrassed due to her action. Now, obviously, we're not talking about a case here where Reuven's life was at stake, because if Reuven's life was at stake, so then you could do anything to save someone else's life. Here we're talking about a case where it was a brawl. The brawl wasn't something which was Sakonis Nafashas. It wasn't something which, you know, was put someone into mortal, you know, danger. So there, she has to pay Boshas. So now we found our fifth source. Now what's so interesting is that when we talk here about Ayin Tachas Ayin, right? Shein Tachas Shein Yad Tachas Yad Regal Tachas Regal, Rashi said automatically that you pay the value. There's no discussion here on the Tilas Ever Mamish that you really thought you were taking eye out. No way. Our only discussion was even a Nefesh Tachas Nefesh. A life for a life. And there, the depth of the Machlokas, of whether or not life for life is accurate, is because in Judaism there is something called the death penalty. Right? If you kill someone, you're liable to be killed. There's conditions to one that's true. You have to have warning beforehand by two different witnesses, and the warning has to say that if you go ahead and kill this person, so then you'll be liable, liable to the death penalty, and they have to kill, they have to continue to kill the other person within three seconds of when that warning was given. Give or take three seconds. There's a machlokas in the poskim. There's a difference in lachikat uh, opinion, but let's say three seconds. And if that doesn't happen, so they're not liable for the death penalty. So here, we're talking about a case where all those things happened, yet he intended to kill Shimon, and he ended accidentally killed Levi. There's a death penalty for that. But in regards to the for damages, here, there's no discussion, maybe ayin tachas ayin really means an eye for an eye in the most literal sense. The question is, how do we know that? So in Source 5, I brought you Rabbeinu Hananel. Rabbeinu Hananel is one of the earliest Rishonim that we have. He was the bridge um, between the Ga'inim and the Rishonim for the Ashkenazim. What do I mean by that? I mean that the Ga'onim, the time period of the Ga'onim, which followed the Amarayim, the people who you know, canonized the Talmud, after that followed a period, really a short period called the Savrayim. We don't really uh, know so much about them. Like the two dots in the Gemara were added by these people called the Sobrayim. Or if the Gemara ever says, V'kein Hilchasa, that's the rule. That was the, that was the conclusion of the Sobrayim. Following the Sobrayim was a time period called the Gaonim. The geniuses, the sages. Following the sages came to the times of the Rishonim, the Rambam, Rashi, etc. So all the Gaonim, pretty much all of them, lived in Svarad. They didn't live in Ashkenaz. And therefore, they have a very, you know, I guess the, the Svaradi Rishonim have a very strong hand in tradition. So the Rif and the Rambam and the Rashp and the Ramban and the Ritva, they all have a very strong tradition from the Gaonim. Whereas when the Ashkenazim, they didn't have such a strong tradition. So Rabbeinu Hananel, the Balitosis, you see, quote the Rabbeinu Hananel a lot. He was the bridge between Ashkenaz and the time period of the Ga'onim. The Ashkenazi Rishonim and the time period of the Ga'onim. On a similar vein, the Rabbeinu Hananel had a uh, student named the Rimagash, and the Rimagash had a student named Maimon, and Maimon had a son named Moshe, otherwise known as the Rambam. So the Rabbeinu Hananel became a source also for the Rambam. So the Rabbeinu Hananel has a very strong position in halachic authority, because he was a link not only to the Rambam, and that whole you know, halachic work, which is the basis, a strong basis for the Shulchan Aruch even today. But he also was the bridge between the Gaonim and the Ashkenazim. 
So, Nashkenazi Rishonim. So, a lot of times you'll see, like the tour, when he quotes Rabbi Nachananel, he'll say that, that everything that the Rabbi Nachananel said is Divrei Kabbalah, is tradition, is Masora, and therefore he has a lot more halachic, I guess, uh, authority than other Ga'unim. So, says the Rabbi Nachananel on this pasuk of Ayin Tachas Ayin, Kabbalah's Razal Bazeh. Chazal understood that when it says it means the value of the eye and not that we pop out the assailant's eye. It doesn't mean it literally. Says Rabbi Nuchananel, I'm going to bring it to you a proof. So number one, Rabbi Nuchananel says, it's a Kabbalah tradition, we know. It was a tradition that we received that it meant monetary compensation. That's number one. Number two, he's going to prove it now. Right? Now what happened? We had it, we saw a Pesukim earlier, that in the Pasuk, in Perak Chaf Aleph, in Shmos, Pasuk Yotes, it says, Rak Shifto Yitin And afterwards, in the same Perak, but five Pesukim later, in Perak Chaf, in Pasuk Chaf Dalad, that's when it says, Ayin Tachas Ayin. So the Rabbeinu Hanan will assume that this is one, this is all one continuation. And he says, that which it says, Rak Shifto Yitin so now, let's do the math here. What happens? Ruby knocks Shimon's eye out. So he has to, what, what do we do? First of all, he has to pay him unemployment, and he has to pay him for the medical bills. But what else do we do? We would have to pop his eye out. So now, If we popped Shimon's eye out as a result for popping Ruvin's out, so then Reuven's going to end up having to pay Shimon for Shavis and Ripui. Because, because of Reuven, Shimon's eye was also lost. So there, he wants to prove from the fact that there's a payment going to Reuven from Shimon, right? It's going from the person attacked, from the assailant to the person attacked, a payment of Ripui and Shavis, that's only one directional. If it's only one directional, so this is a proof that we can't literally pop the guy's eye out. Because if we're popping his eye out, there would, have to also, also, there would have to also be a payment of Sheva Zeripui. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really understand this claim so much, because if we're giving, I could very hear a basic distinction, that if someone popped his friend's eye out in a fight, so that's when he has to pay Sheva Zeripui. And really, that's what the Chumash says, right? It starts off, V'kir even anoshin. When people are fighting, and then it's Vehika Ishas and someone hits their friend, then it's when he has to pay Shavas Ripui. But it's not Vekir even Anashim, it's based in, adjudicates, and decides that the assailant has to get his eye popped out. So why in the world do I think I have to pay Shavas Ripui? So I don't really understand this first proof, but the Rabbi Nachanan thought it was a good proof. I assume there's some misunderstanding something here, I'm lacking something here. So if you have an understanding, please share it with me. But, uh, Number one, we have a Kabbalah Sarzal. Secondly, we have the proof from Shavas and Ripui. Now he's going to bring more proofs. Behold, I have another proof. Ruvain took out Shimon's eye. Right? What's going to happen now? Let's say we take out Ruvain's eye as a repercussion. So it says the Rabbein Hanan, everyone doesn't have the same constitution. Ruvain and Shimon aren't Siamese twins. And maybe Ruvin will give Shimon a wound that Shimon will survive because Shimon is very strong naturally. Whereas Ruvin 
is a weaker guy, and therefore if we give him the same whack, he's actually might die from him, might be a mortal wound for him. And the Torah said, no, it's not you wound someone, you give him the same wound. And you can't give someone the same wound, but have a more severe effect. And if that's true, that the same action might result in a more severe reaction, that's unjust. We have to create the same reaction in Ruvain that Ruvain created in Shimon. And therefore, the only way you can do that is we can only do that with monetary payment. So that's the second proof. The second proof, very straightforward. We have to create the same result. And as much as giving over the same exact wound might not result in the same effect on the assailant as it did to the original person who was damaged, therefore, it has to be. It has to be. They have the same result. So the only way we can accomplish that is through monetary compensation. That's the second proof. Void. And his third proof. So the Torah says a different set of psukim. These we didn't see. We're going to see them together now. It says when a person gives a blemish to his friend, so too you should do to him. Shever tacha shever. A break for a break. Ayin tachas ayin. An eye for an eye. Shein tacha shein. A tooth for a tooth. The same way he gave a wound, a blemish to his friend, so too you have to give to him. It doesn't say, there's a diak here, it doesn't say, so too you should do to him. Rather it says, so you should give to him. Nesina, giving over. It says the Rabbeinu Hananel, it's impossible to explain. What's it mean, The only way to explain that there was a giving over is based off of our Masorah that we have from the Chachamim. It's Bedamim, that it's with monetary value. But not by taking a limb from someone else. Why? It's impossible to duplicate a wound. Why? Because each wound, when it's given, has a certain orech, beruchiv, beomik, a certain length, a width, a depth, where it penetrated. And therefore, to replicate the exact wound that was given to his friend is actually an impossibility. You can't create those same exact dimensions. And what are you going to say? Who cares? We'll give him about the same. So if he gives him a little less or a little more, then it's lo kasher, lo kim kasher, also kinyasin then the Torah that says the same way he did to him, so too you give him in return, is not fulfilled because it's actually slightly different. El Mikan, therefore, I could bring a proof from here also. It's not literal, rather, it means with monetary value. And the value of what he did, not more, not less. So, again, if we want to summarize, Rabbeinu Hananel had four proofs. Why ayin tachas ayin doesn't mean literally pop your friend's eye out if he had damaged your eye. It means monetary payment, number one, tradition, a masora. Number two, we didn't understand this 100%, but if the, if the person who was damaged receives shavis and ripui, if we give it the same punishment to the assailant, he's also going to shavis and ripui, and it ends up being that he's paying for damages. It's not fair. Number two, a second proof. Which is our, Kilu's second, his second textual proof, which is his third proof that he brings, 
is that the result of and the result and the effect of the wound might be more severe to the assailant than it was to the person who was injured. And therefore, that's not Ayn Takasayan. And his fourth proof, his third textual proof, was that it's, you, it's impossible to duplicate the, the injury that was given to the injured. And therefore, since it's impossible to duplicate, it has to be that we're talking about monetary payment. So, so far, again, we've sourced our five different payments. Nezek being from Ayn Takas Ayn, right, the damage itself, the tsar, the pain that a person went through, is from Petsa Takas Patsa. Unemployment, Shavas, is coming from Shifta Yitain. Ripui, the medical bills, is coming from Arapa Yarape. And the Boshas, the embarrassment, is coming from Katsosas Kappa. So far, we brought four proofs from Reino Hanan. Now, let's see the Rambam. The Rambam is going to bring us actually another four reasons why Ayn Tachas is not literal. And he's also going to tell us just some interesting background knowledge when it comes to damages. So the Rambam is in Perak, is source 6, in Chayvul Amazik, in the Halachas of Damages. And Perak Aleph, Halacha Aleph, says the Rambam, a person who damages his friend, he has to pay him five different payments, Nezek, Tzar, Ripu, Yishevus, and Boshes, like we've discussed. The Chamisha Dvaram Elu, these five payments, Kulan Mishtalmin Min Hayofesh Ibn Achasim, all of them are paid through his best property. Like any time a person does damages, he always has to pay with the best quality property that he has. Okay, Allah Gimel. Zeshanema Vatara Kasha Yitin Mumba Adam Kininasin Bo. That which the Torah says, then a person gives a wound to his friend, so too it should be done to him, it should be given to him. It doesn't mean hurt your friend the same way you hurt him. Is it right? Don't hurt Ruby the same way you hurt Shimon. Rather, it's fitting to damage him. And therefore, since it's fitting to damage him, he's he pays for the damages that he incurred. He pays for them. Now he's going to bring a proof. What's his proof? Because it says, You can't take an atonement payment if someone murdered, Reuben murdered Shimon. We can't say, Reuben, instead of getting capital punishment, just pay some money, and that'll absolve you of your sin. How do we know we don't say that? Because it says, You can't take an atonement payment for the life of a murderer. Now, the Rambam comes along. This is a Gemara already. We're going to see together. And Pegim Alamad Beis. And Achayvel. But it says, This payment... The fact that you can't give a payment as an atonement is limited to a murderer. But if you take someone's limb or you damage someone else, there is a payment. So already, the Rambam brings a source that we're discussing payment here from this pasuk of Lo Kofer. That's going to be a fifth source. That Ayin Tachas Ayin doesn't really mean literal. It really means that you pay money. Says Halacha and similarly, that which it says in regards to someone who hurts his friend and damages him, that you shouldn't have mercy on him. It really means, don't have mercy, make sure that you extract monetary payment from him. Maybe he's really poor, he really didn't mean to do it, and therefore I'll have mercy on him. Therefore, it says you shouldn't have mercy if a person that damages and hurts someone else, but not to have mercy on the person who was the assailant. 
Now, says the Rambam, So how do we know that when it says, it really means money? It says in the Torah, It says, a wound for a wound, right? And similarly, it says also, When a person hits his friend with a stone or with his fist, so what do we have to do? He has to be shifto yitin verapa yirape. He pays. If that's true, that the, the halacha is payment, halamata shetacha shnema v'chabura tashlumen. Right? What's chabura? Chabura is when the guy gets bruised up. So if someone punches someone, they hit him with a rock. So he gets bruised up. What's the halacha? The halacha is shifto yitin verapa yirape. Monetary payment. Therefore, tachas, when it says chabura, tachas, chabura means money, you give for the Chabura, in lieu of that, you give a Chabura meaning money, so too Tachas is indicative of the fact that you're paying money so that's the Rambam's second source, the fact that it says Shifta Yitin Virapel Yirape there's a payment for a Chabura therefore when it says Chabura Tachas Chabura, Tachas has to mean you're paying money, therefore anytime it says in the Torah, Tachas that is referring to a monetary payment. So that's the Rambam's second source, Ayin Tachas Ayin. That's our sixth source in proving that Ayin Tachas Ayin is money as opposed to an actual limb. Says Halach Avav, Even though all of these ideas, these payments, we can prove from Torah Shebikhtav, from the written Torah, like we've discussed up until now. So now this is the Rambam's third proof. We've had this proof already. Tradition. This is what we've been passed down from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu until now. We have this tradition. And therefore, that's a reason to believe that it's true. This is also, it's interesting I mean, like I spoke about already, the Rambam, you know, Durat was an extension from the same base midrash as the Rabbeinu Hananel, and the Rabbeinu Hananel started off that it was a Kabbalah Sozal, this is a tradition. So we see he's continuing the similar fashion. So that's the Rambam's third proof. Now he adds something so interesting, and he says, Kazero avuseinu, danem bebeistino shal Yoshua, and so too, our ancestors saw this, starting from the beistin of Yoshua, bebeistino shal Shmuel HaRamasi, and in the court of Shmuel HaRamasi, Shmuel HaNavi, and every single court, Jewish court, that was some of the times of Moshe Rabbeinu until now. Meaning not only is it tradition, but we have testimony. We have a testimony that we've seen this. This is what everyone ever saw. No one ever saw someone damage someone else and gotten the same damage as recompense. No way. All we ever saw was was monetary payment. So that was the Rambam's fourth proof. And for now, that's seven in totality for us. Now, as an aside, why why do we need seven different proofs to show that ayin tachas ayin really means monetary payment as opposed to an ay, literally? I assume, we know there's something called Hammurabi's Code. Hammurabi's Code was one of the earliest, you know, sets of law that we know to common, you know, men. And therefore, there, there was a, 
a lawn there, ayin takas ayin, shein takas an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but there it was literal. So I assume that the Rishonim knew this, and they were coming to make sure, they were coming to stress, that don't think in Judaism, even within a precise reading of the Psukim themselves, you could ever say such a thing. Obviously not. We don't, we don't you know, pop someone's eye out because they hurt someone else. Compensation. So that's why I assume why they're stressing this point. Now, that's up until now we're discussing the result, the punishment, the payment, the consequence of hurting someone. Now, what about... There's a whole different plane that we have to discuss, that hitting that someone... Some, hitting, actually, hitting someone is forbidden. That's also That's a penalty. You can't do that. It's a love. The Torah says you can't hit. How do I know? It says in Source 7... Now this is talking about, we know there's something called a lav. The, pro, the punishment for a lav is a person gets malchus. Right? They get lashed. So now, how much they get lashed? They get lashed 40 different lashes, up to 40. Really it's 39, because you get sets, of, we only give sets of 3. And based off how much the person's physically going to able to take, that's how much we give him the set of 3, which is Less, you know, the highest amount he could take, but doesn't, you know, isn't going to put him in mortal danger. So it says the Torah, You hit him 40 times, lo Yosef, and it's also to add, you can't add any more lashes than that which he was determined he could survive. Lest you come to hit him a big hit, a hit that he can't take, and your brother will be Embarrassed in front of your eyes. So the fact here, it says, the Yosef, Pen Yosef, you can't add, lest you add. From here we derive a prohibition to hit your friend. So now that we uh, determine that there's a prohibition to hit your friend, it's time we have to discuss why is it that we're paying money. Usually if someone transgresses a lab, someone transgresses a prohibition of the Torah, the punishment's Malchus. So I brought for you a few sources here. We're going to do this chronologically in order. We're going to start with our latest source, the Aruch HaShulchan. And then we're going to get to the earliest sources. The reason I'm doing this is because the Aruch HaShulchan gives a great background here and a methodical background, and I think it's going to be easier to digest the rest of it once we see this introduction. So it says the Aruch HaShulchan, Kaimalan, we hold, De'in onshin adam b'shnei onshim, we don't give to a person two different punishments, for example, if someone hits his friend, Shechayev Malkus, really he should be liable to get lashed. Mikra de Le Yosef, from the Pasuk of Le Yosef, that's the Pasuk we just saw. Vechayev Mamun de But he's also obligated to pay money, the value of the damages he incurred. We don't give two punishments, we don't give someone lashes and make him pay monetary payment. Dixiv, because it says in the Torah, Kedei Rishasel, based off of his evil action, Vidarshinan, and Chazal expound, what does it mean, Kedei Rishasel, his bad action, Mishum Risha we can only hold him liable once for his sin, but we can't hold him liable for two different punishments for one action. So now, we have a tension, right? Because really, on one hand, we want to give him malkos for hitting his friend. But on the other hand, we want to make him pay for the damages. So we can't make him do both. So what do we do? 
So says the Aruch HaShulchan, Since the Torah revealed to us that we pay money, like it says in the Chumash, like it says, you have to give him his unemployment and his medical bills. We derive from here, there's an exemption for Malkos. And therefore what? All he has to do is pay money. Now, says the Aruch HaShulchan, So now, where do I pay money? Don't tell me I only pay money when there is no warning. What's he, what's he proposing? We know we can only give a corporal punishment if witnesses warn him before he hits his friend, don't hit him or else we're going to lash you. So let's say, Baruch HaShulchan says, maybe we could say, that the, when does the Torah tell us that you have to pay money? Maybe the Torah only said that when there was no preceding warning. But maybe if there was a preceding warning, they would actually give him lashes. But if there was warning, we would give him lashes. When we wouldn't pay, how do we know that's not true? Because it was explicit, the Torah revealed it to us in Parshas Emor and Seifa Vayikra, in the verses, when it talks about damaging your friend, it says, as he did, as Reuven hurt his friend, so to Shimon, so too you should do to Reuven. But the juxtaposed to that is another puzzle, and it says in the second puzzle, you should give to him. Why does it say, it's redundant, it's additional, it's superfluous, the Midrash, to expound from there, that you only give something which is givable. And what is that that is givable? Mammon, that's money. Lahorus, and therefore that's teaching us Whenever it comes to damages, physically damage someone, we don't give Malkus, all we do is pay money. However, but when it comes if you hit someone and there's no money resultant, no money monetary dues resultant from that hitting, why? Because he never became sick, and he was able to go to work after he was hit. And there are no medical bills. For sure, he's going to get he's going to get malchus. The same way that anyone who transgressed a prohibition would get malchus in the times of the Beis Hamikdash. And that's what the sages taught us. If you hit him. Uh, and give him a wound which doesn't result in a sheva pruta, a high enough amount to make him liable. Loka, he gets malchus came in shekin Since there's no monetary obligation here, so here we see very interesting that even though we have a normative rule that a person could only get punished once, you can't get two punishments for the same action. Therefore, he gets the more severe one. Nonetheless, when it comes to the prohibition of hitting a friend. Normatively, Malkos, lashes are more severe than money. But since there was a direct revelation in the Torah, it says, Kenyan Asinbo, that you should certainly give to him, that reveals to us that the punishment here is different from, norm- from normal, and really all you do is pay money. That's number one. Number two is that when monetary payment is not feasible, you get Malkos, you get lashed. So let's see the Gemara. The Gemara, the source of this discussion is the Gemara in Ksubis. Daflam and Beis, Amad Beis, in source 9. 
Two witnesses say that Plony owes his friend 200 zuz of an imtzizomen, and we find out they were plotting, they were lying, the whole thing was made up. Lokin Mishalman. They get Malkus, and they have to pay monetary compensation. Why? Because they get punished for two different things. The Malkus come from the prohibition of Lo You're not allowed to give false testimony. They transgress that prohibition, they get Malkus. And the monetary payments coming from so there, there's two different transgressions, two different payments. Not a problem, divir a mayor. That's a mayor's opinion. The Chalim disagree. They say, Since it was one action, even though it's two different prohibitions, since it was one action, if he's paying money, he's not liable for lashes. Says the Gemara also, when it comes to Chalim Chavero, let's see, what does it say? It says, like the assailant did, so too should be done to him. So why does the Torah say, so too you should give to him? It's talking about specifically something which is givable, and what's that? That's money. So says the Gemara, but when it comes to if it's true that the halacha is that you pay money, and you don't give malchus, you don't give lashes, but the Torah that says that it's a law, a prohibition, to hit your friend, we've gotten rid of that Pasuk. So then, why? Because the Pasuk implies that you should get lashes. Where are you getting lashes? And so too, if you make him pay money for Adam Zomimim, so then we got rid of the Pasuk that says you give Malchus to the Rasha. So what Adam Zomimim, the plotting witnesses, after the Kuma ben Gurusha ben Chalutza, we can say you get lashes for circumstances where the testimony didn't have anything to do with money. There, we'll give you Malkus. And when it comes to Chovu B'chavero, where can we fulfill the Lo Yosef Pen Yosef, the fact that there's lashes for that prohibition? Where he hit him, a haka, a hit that, doesn't have, that didn't incur any kind of financial loss. So you slap the guy on, your ba- on his back maliciously, and knock the wind out of him. So there, there's no nezik. We'll see soon, we saw already why there's no nezik, because there's no permanent damage that lowers his value on the market. There's no shavis, because he can go back to work. There's no repu, he doesn't need medical attention. There's no tsar, because the tsar was so minimal, the pain was so minimal. And there's no boshas, because he's not embarrassed. So there, under those circumstances, a hard stamp on the back might result in getting lashes. Obviously, I'm adding the caveat, repeating again, that's only when there was witnesses and the witnesses gave warning, and nonetheless, you went and did it within three seconds of the warning, that's when you get lashes. Obviously, if you're just hitting your friend on the back with a joke, etc., yeah, it could be if in the base of magician you say, Bad Swar, I'm also going to slap you on the back. Right? So, that's obviously not what we're referring to. So, says, yeah. So that's, that's the discussion of the prohibition and what type of punishment you get for transgressing this prohibition. Now, how many prohibitions do you transgress and you hit your friend? Right? Why would it, What's the question? The Torah says, Lo Yosef, Lo Yosef, Pen Yosef. Right? It says it twice. Lo Yosef, don't add. Pen Yosef, lest you add. So how many transgressions do you, do you, are you over? Right? How many lamin are you over when you go ahead and hit your friend? So Rashi, in Masechus Sanhedrin, says, The whole Klai Yisrael is warned 
not to hit their friends. Like it says in the Torah, Lo Yosef and Yosef. You shouldn't add, lest you add. He brings both parts of the Pasuk, which is an interesting thing. It's interesting to know. Why is he bringing both parts of the Pasuk? To say, Lo Yosef, don't add. Why is he throwing in it with the same time, the Pen Yosef? So maybe it's Vavdavka. We can't make such a precise reading, but maybe it's alluding to the fact that there's two prohibitions. So the Torah, the Torah is the you know basis of all halacha from from the Rishonim, the son of the Rush. He says it's also Adam It's forbidden for a person to hit his friend. and if you hit him over belav, he transgresses a lav. One prohibition. Shneber pen Yosef, lest you hit. And if the Torah said, lest you hit, when it's talking about a person who's already obligated to get lashes from Basin, so called all the more so that you can't hit someone, the Torah is stringent, you can't hit someone if they're not obligated on lashes whatsoever. So explicit in the Torah that you only transgress one love, there's one prohibition, and he says the prohibition is Pen Yosef. Now the Bach goes to town here. The Bach says, it's not true. The Perak Elonaris, he brings a Gemara in Ksubis. Parach, like when I ask, when it comes to the transgression of someone who hurts their friend, that for sure he's judged with monetary payment, like we saw already, Kenyan Asimbo. Then we've gone ahead and nullified the Yosef Pen Yosef. Where's the punishment? Where's the Malkus? Mashma, the implication of that question is that from the part of the Pasuk, Pen Yosef, we derive a warning, not to hate your friend, of a Lo Yosef the Gufe Asa. But Lo Yosef is coming for the din of the Pasuk itself, that you shouldn't add more than the 40 lashes. So, according to the Torah, the Pasuk is brought up into two different parts. You hit him 40 times and don't add more. Right? Don't add more, meaning to say to this guy who's getting lashed in Bastin. The Pen Yosef, why does the Torah say Pen Yosef? The Torah really could have just said, Why add Pen Yosef? Pen Yosef's coming to add a prohibition. The prohibition of hitting your friend even outside of Bastin. Right? And so too, you can't on any kind of assessment that Basin gave to give him lashes. How do we know? Now we bring this derivation also in the Gemara and Malkus. It appears Shashisham. And Rikarachi explained over there. And so too, the Rambam says, This is his words. It's forbidden for a person to hit his friend. You shouldn't add on hitting him. And if the Torah warned about giving lashes to a person who's already obligated to them to give him extra ones, all the more so that you can't hit someone who's not obligated on lashes. Right? It comes to imply that you can't add onto uh, onto the lashes already prescribed to him. Now the difficulty here, the Bach discusses this, is that the Rambam brings the wrong Pasuk. According to the Bach, the Rambam should have brought the Pasuk Pen Yosef. Why does he bring Lo Yosef? 
So the Bach goes along and says that really you should know that any time you see the Pasuk, Pen Yosef, Lo Yosef, talking about Hakas Chavero, hitting a friend, so it's not being precise. It just means the Pasuk of Lo Yosef, which has the warning of Pen Yosef in it, that's our source. But forever you're only going to transgress one prohibition, that prohibition is Pen Yosef, and that can be expressed either through the words Pen Yosef or Lo Yosef. Now, my assumption is that if a person who's giving lashes on behalf of Beistin gives an additional lash, so there, there, under those circumstances, you'll actually transgress two laven. Why? One's for the Pen Yosef that everyone always has, and since he's in Beistin, and there was a specific classic added for that person in Beistin, the Lo Yosef, there he would also transgress the Lo Yosef. So when unique, according to the Bach, unique to the person who's, you know, giving out the lashes on behalf of Beistin, if he gives an extra one in that format, so then he's going to transgress two different laven. Now there's a Sefer Shai Tshuva written by Rabbeinu Yudhami Gurundi. So here, he has a Chiddush. It says here in Shara Gimel, in Zion, in our source sheet, source 14, he says, Harazayin mechsas ahimim shemim ikri hazaras, there's some warnings that the Torah, there's some prohibitions in the Torah that the majority of people don't keep. Like hitting a friend, it's very normal, commonplace that someone hits their friend. And Shamak is Chavero, and a person who hits his friend over Bishnei Lavin, he transgresses two different prohibitions. So he learns the Lo Yosef is one prohibition, the Pen Yosef is a different prohibition, and anytime someone hits their friend, they transgress both. So, according to the Shari Tshuva, a person transgresses two prohibitions every single time they hit their friend. So, to sum it up, the tour holds as one prohibition. The Bach concurs that the tour there's one prohibition. We're saying maybe that if it came, we were discussing the case of the person who works for Beistin in a format where he's giving out lashes, he might transgress two different laven, one for Pen Yosef of everyone else, and one for Lo Yosef, which is unique to him. And according to the Shari Tshuva, he transgressed two different laven. The last source, the Gemara, and Bava Kama, Dafnit Ches, we're not going to see inside, the discussion there is if a, someone, Plony goes and burns down part of Almoni's field. Right? Reuven burns part of Shimon's field. Now how do I assess the value of Shimon's field? That part that he burned down. Do I assess it based off the size of the field itself? Meaning to say, let's say he burnt down 20 square feet. So to buy a field of 20 square feet, how much does that cost? So the answer is, it really depends. If I buy 20 square feet and just 20 square feet, then the amount per square foot is going to cost a lot more than, let's say, if I pay for five acres. And I were to take the value of the five acres and divide it up and determine the value of 20 square feet within those five acres, so that 20 square feet is going to cost much less. So the Gemara there discusses how much, you know, in what regards, under what... You know, barometer, do we assess the value of the damages that the damager occurred to the person who was injured? Yeah, or to the area that was injured. So the Gemara there comes up with a precedent that these assessments are meant to be lenient upon the person who caused the damages. So it's an interesting concept that even though this person damaged his friend's property, we determine the value of those damages 
in a way which is going to be a leniency on the damager. So that's a very important fact to keep in mind when we jump into the sugya, Mitzah next week, that the way we assess the damages is in a way to make it lenient upon the damager. All right, so we're going to stop it here for today. I think we had a good understanding. We sourced our five different payments, where they're coming from. We gave seven different reasons in the how the Yishonim understood that Ayn Tachas Ayn meant money as opposed to physical damages. And then we quoted the halachos of how can we pay if there's also a transgression, a lav, which usually means you're liable to get lashes. We discussed how many transgressions you over, you're over. And we discussed the type of payment that we do in a way which is a leniency for the person who caused the damages in the first place. All right, looking forward to opening up the Gemara next week and stagging.